0: Welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Andrew Jennings, a lecturer in law and the teaching fellow for the Corporate Governance and, Private and Practice Program at Stanford Law School, and the founder of the Business Scholarship Podcast. We will discuss his experiences as an academic podcaster. So welcome back to the show, Andrew.
1: Well, thank you, Brian. It's great to be here.
0: Pleasure's all mine. Really excited to talk to you about this because I'm an avid listener of your podcast and I've learned a lot from it. And I think you're a really uh, fantastic interviewer who also selects really interesting guests and covers really uh, important topics. Uh, But before we get directly into your podcast and your experiences creating and running it, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about yourself right? So maybe if you could tell listeners a little bit about your background, um, sort of what you do, your research interests, and sort of where you are right now in terms of your academic career.
1: Sure. Thank you. I've had a little bit of a varied practice thus far in in law as both a a practicing lawyer and now as a legal academic. I started off my practice career doing M&A work, a good bit of corporate governance work as well as uh, corporate investigations work. It turns out that sometimes companies that have governance issues also have other uh, issues with the SEC, let's say. Uh, So that's kind of work I did early on in my career. I've also done more kind of direct litigation work as a white-collar defense and investigations lawyer, uh, a little bit in the antitrust and appellate areas as well. And so that has kind of brought me to a place where I am in a fellowship at Stanford Law School, as you mentioned. Uh, I teach uh, two seminars on corporate governance here at the law school, and I spend a lot of time on my own research as well, where I am uh, developing a little bit of a focus in corporate compliance and ethics, white-collar crime, and uh, securities, uh, securities regulation uh, as it intersects with those areas
0: what sort of generated your interest in podcasts and your own kind of podcasting project? I mean, sort of how do you see that or how did that grow out of your kind of academic role at Stanford Law School?
1: Sure. So I would step back maybe many years to the genesis of the Business Scholarship Podcast. I was a very early listener to of a podcast called Econ Talk. I think it was one of the kind of first generation podcasts uh, hosted by Russ Roberts of George Mason uh, in the Hoover Institution here at Stanford. Uh, and I just really enjoyed that podcast and the format that Russ used. And I thought to myself around 2015, 2016 or so, wouldn't it be neat to do a podcast like that for law or legal topics? Uh, sort of a format in which you interview a legal scholar each week about his or her work uh, for about 30 minutes to an hour or so. Uh, Fast forward to maybe 2018 or so, 2019, I'm thinking a little bit more seriously about it. But then I see this podcast popping up in my Twitter feed called Ipsa Dixit, which uh, was essentially what I had thought I would would do, and so I thought. All right, well, that that ground is kind of covered. Uh, perhaps there's maybe a room for a niche podcast that does something similar, but it's focused on my area, uh, which is business law. So about that time, I had received an offer to join uh, Stanford. I thought that okay, well, this is maybe a good time to start that academic podcast I've been thinking about, and so I started reaching out to uh, to folks who would written papers that I thought were interesting and said, hey, I'm starting this new podcast. I, I'm kind of new around here. I'm new on the block. Would you be willing to talk with me and uh, and do a, an episode? And, and thankfully, people were receptive. And that was sort of the genesis of it.
0: Well, that's a hilarious coincidence, actually, because I was also a very um, enthusiastic econ talk listener at, at the same time. And in fact, maybe even a little earlier than that, and Actually, my friend Penny uh, used to refer to the theme music to Econ Talk as the sound of me getting smarter, um, which I always found really <laughs> I'm true at the same time because it really is such a wonderful resource that, you know, Russ has been doing for such a long time. And the eclecticism of that podcast was something that I always really appreciated. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Uh, experience and sort of the kind of formation of the way that you thought about sort of what you wanted to do when you were podcasting? Like maybe talk a little bit more about what specifically were the things that you liked about econ talk and related podcasts? And were there maybe things that maybe you didn't like or wanted to do differently sort of as you were thinking about doing that kind of work yourself?
1: Sure. I think that the word that you you mentioned, eclecticism, is really what I was going for, and I think that Russ really captures that well, uh, in which one week he might be talking to a famous economist about his or her work, and the next week he might be talking to somebody who is an expert in uh, logistics for grocery stores or somebody who runs a, a hair salon. And so I, I thought that was a really interesting aspect of his work. And I wanted to replicate that a little bit. And so I take a pretty broad perspective into what I consider to be business law scholarship. It, of course, includes things like corporate law, Delaware, uh, Delaware corporate law or securities regulation. But uh, I think it also incorporates a number of adjacent fields, uh, contract law, antitrust, bankruptcy, uh, accounting, um, employment law. Uh, consumer protection or consumer finance. So these are all areas that I think are pretty well encompassed in uh, in kind of my niche. So query whether it's a niche. And my goal in, in producing this is to create something that is accessible to uh, lay people uh, that maybe just somebody who is a thoughtful lay person is interested in this topic, uh, can listen to uh, on the way to work, uh, back in the days when we went to work in cars. Uh, but also people who are professional academics can also listen and uh, get something from it. And maybe Hear about a paper that they hadn't seen before. Maybe they had, but they didn't have time to read it, uh, and can maybe decide whether or not to go and read the whole paper itself. Perhaps it's in a slightly different field, and maybe it makes a a connection with them that they didn't expect to hear and that might uh, facilitate or contribute to their future work. I've also found, and this was unexpected, that it can also be a great teaching tool. There have been episodes that I've done uh, that I've assigned uh, in my class that had some relevance to the topic that I was offering, and I thought, all right, well, maybe instead of assigning an extra reading or uh, maybe a way to cut down on the reading if it's getting a little bit long, is I could do a podcast, and maybe that's a different modality of learning. And I found that students respond uh, very strongly to uh, and favorably uh, to the podcast modality of, of learning about uh, something that a legal scholar has, has been working on. So, for example, I assigned an episode that I did with Ann Lipton, a professor at Tulane law school on um, disclosures uh, of information by non-public companies uh, and their interest in disclosing information for public sake as opposed to investor's sake. I signed that for one of my classes and it was incredibly salient with the students. It was probably the most uh, memorable and salient reading or material that we went over that quarter. And throughout the quarter, many students would uh, often reference that that podcast and bring the conversation back to some of the thoughts that Professor Lipton had.
0: Well, so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about starting the podcast. Like when you first started doing episodes, did you have sort of a structure or a format or principles about how you wanted to approach the podcasting medium that you adopted initially? And to what extent, if at all, Did you sort of find yourself modifying or adapting those kinds of principles and approaches over time as you became more experienced in the medium?
1: Sure. I think that from the beginning, and this is something that I've been fairly consistent with, is that I decided that the format wouldn't be so much conversation-based. I envision these podcasts as being similar to, let's say that we have a keynote speaker come to campus and... A professor or somebody on the faculty might be assigned to moderate the discussion or ask questions, but the moderator is there simply for framing oftentimes to uh, facilitate the key speaker in sharing his or her thoughts. So that's very much the format that I've tried to capture uh, in the podcast role. Uh, I think that over time, uh, it's probably evolved in that... I don't know that it's necessarily evolved from that format, but perhaps it's gotten tighter in some ways. Uh, I think that early on, the episodes were uh, probably a little bit longer than they are now on average. I I kind of encourage guests to uh, talk as long as they like, but I think probably we've gotten a little bit shorter in the format, so that might be one one difference. And I tend to try to keep the episodes between 15 and and 30 minutes with maybe a a median uh, goal around around 20 minutes. So I think that's probably the biggest change that I've seen.
0: Have you experienced any particular challenges in kind of pursuing the broadcast project, whether that's sort of logistical challenges in terms of making it happen and finding time for it, technical challenges in terms of things that were hard to accomplish or more difficult than you expected, or that, you know, you didn't anticipate before you started doing it or like kind of intellectual or conceptual challenges in terms of how you approached it. I'm thinking for the benefit of others who might be thinking about doing something similar, maybe to help them anticipate some of those kinds of issues.
1: Sure. So I think listeners who might be thinking about a podcast should definitely do the research on best practices that are out there. So for example, I record uh, myself, my guest on separate channels. Uh, and then I use software called uh, Audacity to mix and, and edit all of that to uh, improve the sound. I also use a third-party service called Ophonic to improve the sound. I call it the magic process. I'm not ex- exactly sure what it does, but it does improve the sound. And that's automated software. So I think those are some technical challenges people should be aware of. It's not exactly a plug-and-play Process, as you can probably attest to yourself, but it's an accessible process for anybody who is reasonably diligent in uh, learning about what others are doing. And I think that one thing that people need to keep in mind is that there isn't necessarily any one way to do podcasting. There are lots of different tools out there, there are different processes that work. For me, my ideal is usually I uh, put out one episode a week. I wish I had time to put out more, but the post production process is pretty lengthy. Uh, and so I usually dedicate an evening once a week to preparing a podcast, uh, preparing the recording. There's uh, time that it takes to run it through the post-production software, to upload it, uh, to write the liner notes, that sort of thing. So these are all things that people should be considering, uh, that this is uh, something that takes a little bit of time, uh, but it's easily achievable if it's something that you're, you're dedicated to. I wonder if
0: you could talk a little bit about the response to the podcast as well. I mean, you've mentioned that many of your students found it approachable and useful in terms of better understanding the subject matter of what you're teaching in a deeper and richer way. I wonder what other kind of audience engagement you've sort of seen or gotten feedback about. And in addition, specifically for people who are kind of in your shoes or maybe junior faculty members as well. What kind of response have you gotten from your peers and supervisors at the law school?
1: Sure. So when I first started, I was a little bit unsure what the Reception might be, especially as I was uh, reaching out to early guests. Um, I thought, okay well i'm not even necessarily in the academy at this point, even as a as a fellow, uh, but I found that guests were very responsive uh, very quickly uh, you, people usually are uh, willing to do do an episode, and it's been uh, really nice as things have gone on, as I've started inviting people who say, I would love to do an episode, I actually listen to the show. So that's been a really uh, rewarding uh, response I've gotten from prospective guests. And so I think that's that's something to keep in mind and that develops over time. I think that the response from other people in the Academy has been very encouraging. Um, I think folks tell me that they listened to the show or that there was a perhaps a market gap uh, in the world of scholarship uh, that that maybe the show helps fill a little bit. So that response has been pretty positive. And then in terms of listenership, I have some data about listenership. I think it's primarily probably uh, legal academics or other academics. But I also have some evidence that people in government agencies or private practice are listening too. So that's also a really rewarding thing. And I think that uh, guests really appreciate uh, any kind of way they can get their um, there's scholarship out there. So I'm really pleased and, and, and really happy to be a part of uh, helping, helping that in, in any way I can.
0: As a listener myself, I've been really impressed by you as an interviewer. Uh, I think you really elicit a lot of really kind of deep, thoughtful responses from your guests. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more, and you mentioned it previously, sort of the way you think about yourself as kind of a moderator for a keynote keynote speaker, but I wonder if you could talk about that in a little more detail. I mean, when you go about thinking about what kinds of questions to ask people and why to ask those questions, sort of what kinds of things do you try to keep in mind? And also, you know, how do you prepare to do an interview?
1: Sure. I think those two things are a little bit of a piece. So when I prepare for an interview, I I read the piece fully. Uh, I have usually read at least part of it before I decide to invite somebody on the show. Uh, but uh, as I'm preparing, I read the piece fully. I'm taking notes about possible questions that I might have. Oftentimes, I'll get to the end and see that the questions that I have are a little bit in the weeds, given just the time that we have. It, it's hard to capture an entire. Uh, paper. might be 60, 70 pages or so in 20 to 30, 40 minutes. But I'll try to distill those questions down to, okay, what do I think are the key questions to ask that will convey to the listeners the essence of this paper, the the facts that this paper has to offer, the theory this paper has to offer, the normative or prescriptive conclusions that the author has to offer. And so that's really the goal for every episode. I really hope that I can... uh, convey the essence of the paper through the episode to listeners and for people who maybe are in the field or are in, are in are interested in reading the full piece uh, to give them enough information that they uh, they've really wet their whistle and they are ready to go download the paper and read it fully and maybe pick up on some of the nuances that you can't necessarily capture in a, a one um, one podcast episode
0: well so your podcast is, at least on its face, relatively focused in terms of the subject matter. But as you acknowledged earlier, I mean, the field of business law scholarship is is really broad. So, I mean, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you go about selecting the guests who you want to talk to. Um, You know, what kind of process do you use? Do you have any particular kind kind of criteria that you think about in terms of choosing who to invite, on the show uh are they mostly people you know or people who are just sort of in the field whose work you've read um you know where do you find the pieces that you're you know asking to talk to people about and you know how do you think generally about kind of the programmatic aspect of the kind of thematic qualities of the show
1: Sure. I think most of the people, by far, most of the people that I interview are people that I don't know. And especially for listeners who are more uh, recent in academia or junior, that can be one of the great things about podcasting. You get to meet a lot of people uh, in probably a higher volume and a, with a greater one-on-one intensity than you might be able to uh, buy going to conferences and that sort of thing. And so I think that's been a great benefit for me as a junior person and just getting to know people uh, for the first time through this process. In terms of selection, there are a few key sources that I look at. I monitor the uh, corporate governance blogs that and the securities blogs that uh, Columbia and Harvard have. I am a subscriber to a lot of the SSRN digest, and so I see a lot of... Uh, ideas there. That's probably where I get the bulk of ideas. I am pretty active on Twitter. So as people post uh, their own work or talk about the work of others, I see uh, things that I might want to reach out and invite people uh, to to interview with. And I tend to try to keep it a pretty balanced in terms of subject areas. I I could probably do a podcast just on white collar crime or, or compliance if if I wanted to, but I try to avoid that because that's maybe what I'm interested in, but I want to keep it pretty broad uh, and accessible for a larger group. And so I have to be pretty careful about keeping the balance in topics. Uh, and so sometimes I'll see a, a great piece come across on the SSRN Digest about, let's say, uh, m and And I feel like, okay, well, I've already done uh, a lot of m recently. I might need to let that one go. And so there. that's one of the challenges of, of the podcast game in a lot of respects, that there is... Um, I have about one episode a week that I can probably do in terms of my personal bandwidth. And there's just a lot of pieces that I would like to get to that I can't get to. I think that I definitely like to do pieces uh, all else equal with younger or more junior people. I think that uh, if I can facilitate uh, increasing somebody's, um, you know, uptake and exposure, that's a great thing to do. So that's something I like to do. And I probably like to, interview folks that I haven't interviewed before, although I've certainly interviewed uh, a few people multiple times and expect I'll I'll continue doing that. So it's a little bit of a mix of factors that go into it.
0: Have you gotten any support from Stanford, either technically or kind of in terms of moral or um, sort of informal support, maybe from your mentors in the program at all in relation to the podcasting that you've been doing? And more generally, sort of how do you get a sense of the way the institution thinks about this project?
1: Yeah, I think it's certainly supported. I think it's certainly something that I started a little bit before I came to Stanford and and probably doesn't require, you know, it doesn't require funding or anything like that. Podcasting is a pretty cheap uh, hobby uh, in a way. It's it's a cost for some recording equipment up front and maybe some software that's fairly low cost, but it's a fairly low cost thing. But I think that Stanford is supportive. I've interviewed uh, faculty at Stanford and they've posted links to episodes. And so that's that's something that I think is, is definitely there. But I think ultimately it is, is probably an individual um, individual endeavor on my part.
0: So I I wonder if you could talk a little bit more specifically about sort of what you think the most important things for prospective academic podcasters to think about might be. In other words... To your mind, if somebody's thinking about doing a podcast, what kind of questions might they ask themselves about sort of how to identify a subject mar- a subject area that they want to address, how they might think about the format that they want to use? And, you know, do you think there are multiple options or sort of, you know, like, h- how would you think about what works well or maybe also like in your experience, maybe what doesn't work so well when it comes to uh, specifically academic podcast activities?
1: Sure. I think in terms of subject, people should look for the intersection of something that they are personally really passionate about and interested in, and also an area where they think they might be able to form an audience. And it doesn't have to be a big audience. When I started uh, this podcast, I thought, you know, there are probably maybe 300 people in the world who or 300 people in the U.S. who might be interested in this podcast, but it's a pretty small group. I can pretty effectively target to them. And if I get the bulk of that audience, then that's great. Uh, probably I, I underestimated the, the size of the potential audience a little bit, but I think that point holds. So think about areas that you would be interested in talking about that will have sort of a sustained flow of content uh, in the forms of people to interview, whether it's academic or not. Uh, in terms of format, I would listen to podcasts. I think it's sort of like to, to be a good writer, you must be a good reader first. Uh, and so I would certainly encourage people to listen to podcasts and, and take uh, impressions from them. It doesn't mean that there's any right format, but uh, as they listen to podcasts, I think they'll hear uh, what works for them. In terms of what works well, uh, I think that it's definitely worth reading about best practices. And there's just a world of of advice on, you know, just Google it uh, in terms of how to put together a podcast. Different people will have very clear processes that they will suggest. And I think you can kind of take it or leave it in terms of, you know, what software you should use, what microphone you should use, what format you should use. Uh, for me, I think that's something that um, didn't work well but works better now is that I started off with doing phone interviews. And so I didn't want to uh, ask my listeners to download software. Uh, sometimes a lot of podcasters will do do that. Uh, I just wanted to make it as seamless as possible for uh, my guest. And so I did phone interviews. Sometimes the sound isn't so great on a phone connection uh, as compared to maybe uh, an IP connection. But one thing that happened during this this age of, of COVID is that everybody has now learned how to use Zoom. And so there is a software program on everybody's computer that I don't necessarily need to ask them to download, that they're familiar with. And so I've switched to recording via Zoom audio. And I found that the audio seems to be uh, markedly better via Zoom. So that's something that I've learned uh, in the process. And so if you listen to some early episodes, you might hear a little bit more fuzz uh, in the background than in the current episodes.
0: In closing, Andrew, I mean, if you had one word of advice in terms of what you've learned doing podcasting in relation to the show as a whole, but also from my perspective, specifically in relation to you as an interviewer, like what would you tell people in your experience to think about in terms of what you think has made your program more effective, better able to reach audiences and sort of richer in terms of the content that you're producing?
1: I think that you have to keep in mind that you have two constituencies as a podcaster. I think that the first constituency is the audience, but another really important constituency is the guest. The guests are the folks who are providing their time and their expertise for uh, for this show, uh, and they are providing the content, so to speak. And so uh, to always keep in mind what the listeners might want, uh, to maybe talk to listeners about what they like and they don't like, and also to be as generous and welcoming and uh facilitative as possible for the guests. I think that if you do that, you will have happy guests. Guests will uh, produce great content for the show. Listeners will be happy with the content and it'll be a virtuous circle. So always keeping in mind those two uh, key constituencies. Uh, Luckily, I don't have advertisers, so I don't have that third constituency to to think about. But those two key constituencies, I think, are are going to be the focus. And so whatever you can do to make life easier uh, for the guest is great. And whatever you can do to make uh, things exciting for the, the audience is also great.
0: Awesome. Well, Andrew, thanks so much for coming on to talk about the Business Scholarship Podcast and your experiences. Uh, I'm a big fan. I'm super excited that you've been producing all this great content, and it's been great to talk to you about your experiences.
1: All right. And I am a big fan of Ipsodixit as well. So I'm glad that we had this crossover opportunity. And I appreciate your having me on the show to talk about the podcast life.
2: But his heart was aching, I saw. It seemed angels took his mammy, and he wondered why he died. While his daddy fell asleep, Sammy Dandy please to the radio and cried, Mister Radio Man my mama to come back home, won't you do what you can, cause I'm so lonely, I've been listening in every day, since she went away, but no word. I haven't been heard. Can't the angels hear me pray when the Sandman is nigh? And to slumberland, I must go. I know she hears me sigh over my radio. And the reason I'm crying. Radio Man Tell my mama My mama to come back home Won't you do Won't you do what you can Oh I'm so lonely I've been listening In every day Since she went away But not a word From heaven have I heard and the angels hear me pray when the Sandman is nigh. And to slumberland, i must alone. I know she must hear me sigh over my radio. Oh, and the reason I'm, I'm sighing, when I'm crying, I'm all alone. The radio man, please, please tell my mama to come back home.